Hey, welcome to the Low Key Podcast. This week we're talking about 1BR, the little horror movie that could. This is a film that arrived on demand a few months ago, then it came to Netflix, and it stole the number one spot of all films from Project Power, another movie we've talked about here on the Low Key Podcast. Uh, Keith, Aaron, what did you guys think of 1BR? Enjoyed it, man. I'm, like, I'm actually really excited to talk about it. It, it was something that had been on my radar, uh, but... You know, I wasn't sure we were going to have a chance to, to get to it. So I'm glad we're going to get a chance here. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I enjoyed it for the most part. Uh, one thing that I liked the most about it is that it did have a very, um, I guess what I would say, a more old school way of, of, of horror, in a sense, yeah. where it's not so much about a monster jumping out at you and trying to scare you, but putting a character in a very dreadful situation. It's very Shirley Jackson, which is another throwback <laughs> to a movie that we covered, <laughs> Shirley, a couple of episodes back. It, it's taking kind of, you know, modernity and flipping it to some degree to show some aspect of it that's, you know, some undergrowth beneath that, you know, isn't previously known, but is festering below the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found out about this movie in February, I think, because I went to a dinner and I was seated across from a guy named Alok Mishra, who became the producer of this movie. And he told us just this crazy story about what a messed up production it was, where there were fires that kept them from getting to set. They had a production truck stolen. Their lead actress dropped out at the last minute and they got the really excellent actress that they have now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember hearing the story and just being like, we got to write about this in Movie Maker. And he wrote a story for us. And I just kept thinking, I hope this movie's good. So I was so relieved when it was. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, man, I really like this guy. I hope I get to say good things about the work. <laughs> okay, so from here on, if you have not watched the film, we finna be spoiling the hell out of this movie. So <laughs> I would recommend, the movie's an hour and a half uh, runtime, maybe a little bit longer, but I'd recommend watching that and coming back. Uh, because from here on, we're going to be jumping way deep into what this film is about so all right enough of pause there is there a scenario not not exactly the way they do it right but where you think that this sort of utilitarian or utilitarian approach to trying to make society better is something that should be considered let's say for example the people who worked at the vet that you're talking about there's no real way in the way that we normally think to reform people. What is the method that people should use? And I think that's kind of the question that these people saw themselves looking at when they saw this philosopher whose name I'm not remembering from 1BR, but the guy who, who brought up their tenets the, that they live by yeah, in that community. Um, so those those four pillars that they use and through those four pillars, you know, they believe through any means necessary, you should get people to convert. And if people cannot be converted, then they're removed from society. That's how they handle it. It's an oddly timely movie, and I hadn't really thought of it that way until you said that. But the way that we're all trying to get people to follow certain rules, and some people refuse to follow certain rules, and you do kind of fantasize about like what you'd like to do with those people. Like you have a I will not wear masks people, and you're like, we should put all the I will not wear masks people in a locked room together. I mean, you do, so I've heard from, because I, I know different people who work in the medical community, and, you know, one thing you hear them say occasionally is they wish that they could give 
or prioritize care to the people who had tried to be careful uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, just had a mistake rather than some of these people who are like, just for example, on this Labor Day weekend, going out parties, no mask, then filling up the hospitals and then just being like, oh man, I got COVID. Oh no. Whatever am I going to do? Meanwhile, somebody who really, really needs the help and was doing their best not to, to get it is definitely sick. You know? Yeah. I think, um, I think one of the problems though with trying to build up a society like that is like who truly determines what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. especially when it comes to ethics and, and like people coming from different cultural backgrounds, different beliefs and all of this. So I don't, I don't think that in itself could ever work out without it being a, a, a form of fascism or dictatorship. So actually, you know, I think that's a good point, too. And, and let's just kind of go through what happened in the film um, in, in, in some detail. Um, so you have this young woman, Sarah, who is, uh, in one way or another, works in costumes. She has, you know, this sort of tools you'd expect that person to have. They have the, um, oh, my God, the I forgot what's called, like a bodysuit or uh, whatever that is that, you know, you put the clothes onto some, you drape them on, onto this... Uh, this body form and mannequin. then uh, it's like a mannequin it's something different there's some i think it's called like a dress form or body form something like that and yeah. you use that to like um make uh, alterations to clothes and things like that and she's a, a design costume designer as well you can see she's drawn out all these different things from maybe stage plays or whatever it has wait a minute be. a costume designer named sarah and it's really funny. really I- resonate with you yeah, it's kind of funny. I wasn't going to dive into my personal life, but it is funny that my wife happens to have gone down a similar road. And if we had not been together, probably would have moved to L.A. and been in a really similar situation where she's trying to make things work, maybe take some much extra classes like she did in New York to get some additional stuff on her resume, some more experience, networking with people in the industry who may be able to help her get the next job, blah, 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 blah. It was really Accidentally weird. Accidentally join a cult in your apartment complex. Yeah, you know, I was there to save her from that part. <laughs> Um, and again, this was New York, you know, Californians are crazy. Um, but so, yeah, it was funny. Yeah, a lot of things happened to resonate and I did notice a lot of those completely coincidental par- parallels, but it was crazy though, because, you know, she was trying to make it on her own and th- you know, she's estranged from her father, you know, because of what happened with her mother. And we'll, we'll get to that point, uh, discussing those details, but you know, it was interesting to see how quickly you know one thing that got mentioned was like uh the the guy who's like building the foundations or has put together these four pillars that everybody lives by he talked about how technology allows us to do things that we we couldn't before as far as like making these more perfect humans and he was like well what the hell does that mean one of those things which is really strange is the ability to literally just erase someone's identity yeah and the idea that somebody even wants to be found or seen like if you put out an APB on somebody within like you look on their Facebook and they go, don't try to look for me. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm done with society. I'm going to keep loving my life, but don't look for me anymore. Most situations, people would just drop it. Yeah, whatever. They decide not to be found or seen. They don't want to talk to nobody, whatever. Yeah. Um, if they're estranged from people at all. And so, you know, seeing how that worked and, and them being able to, to pull it off was, was interesting um and in finding ways to because this is something that happens too even when people talk about two-factor authentication and things like that if you got enough details in somebody's life their personal notes and you have those things you can take out 
their credit cards, oh, their yeah. phones, all that stuff. So it, it was really interesting seeing how they played out there. Yeah. yeah. Also, when you even when you talk about like social media, another thing to add to that, you can also make people put out a facade that they live in a a great life and stuff. And they you can have them post pictures, you can do all of these different things. So when people see them, they just like, oh, they're fine. Sarah's doing okay. And not knowing that she's just been abducted by a whole entire cult and forcing to put these things online because a lot of us look at stuff online through social media and believe these things to be truth. Just like yeah. somebody always posting that they live in a good life and going on vacations and stuff. You think this is a, a person that's emotionally, mentally, and financially stable and they is probably struggling from all the money they spend on all them goddamn trips they go on. <laughs> Sounds like Keith has a story to tell after the podcast. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, pe- people do do that. Like, no, no, 100%. You always post post the good things. You're not going to post the whole, uh, the shitty things. And the people that post the shitty things, everybody look at them, me, myself, and be like, well, they, they need help. They need to go talk to a therapist or something. You know what I'm saying? Right. But social media ain't the place for it. Yeah. Well, there's also just this general thing of, and it's weird, you, you don't think about it a whole lot, right? But, you know, when you move or hell just even in general like you're around a bunch of people and oftentimes you don't always know their names you don't always know what they're about and what their beliefs are and all that kind of stuff but like particularly when you move somewhere new it is kind of strange where you know you don't you don't know what these people are about they could be in a cold hell you don't know <laughs> yeah work at a white supremacist uh, veterinarian's office you might not know yeah. Hey, real talk, and I thought we was going to wind up being in the cult at one time, man. Do you remember that? When? Oh, you didn't come. That's what happened. You didn't come. So what, 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 what scenario are we talking about? I, I don't remember. It was a pastor approached us at um, IHOP one time. Okay. We was having a conversation. This pastor thought we our conversation was like so on point. He wanted to join, remember? And he just started <laughs> talking to us, and he said he pastored at this church, right? I oh, okay, okay. I yeah. tell you, I went up to the church. No, you didn't. Man, I ain't gonna lie. This is the first time I think I almost was involved in a cults type situation. I thought it was gonna be like a church church. It definitely was not like a church church. Now, now continue. I don't, I don't, you've never told this story to me. Man, look, I'm just saying, I felt a little uncomfortable. I don't know if it was because of how they did things were like completely different. Were they not like a particular denomination of some sort or like I want a denomination I ain't seen no crosses up in there it was just different you there know wasn't even no white Jesus in there it wasn't no white Jesus and then I was like maybe they Jehovah Witnesses and then I was like nah I know Jehovah Witness halls look like this ain't it you know hey saying? but dude was like nosy as hell though like, <laughs> so this is the thing though too too Tim we weren't really talking about like religious stuff per se you know what i'm saying <laughs> like i i don't know what made him think that we would have been interested in going to this church we are fascinating individuals though yeah it's just like he literally <laughs> walked up to our table and started talking to us this did how happen many, See, he, how many he remember stuff there? i don't remember huh how many people were at the table it was just me and aaron talking oh and god just walks up and started talking to he us. was just trying to recruit yeah, he was trying to recruit us to the to the to the uh, to the cult, man. I felt like I don't, I don't even really I don't completely remember everything that happened when I got there. I just remember 
I felt strange and I left within like probably like 15, 20 minutes. Of sitting did, up did you eat or drink anything? And did, <laughs> he got a chip in his body this whole time. <laughs> I just remember all these women there and they were wearing like white robes and stuff. What the hell? That's straight. Were, That's cult 101. And they were passing around like this, like, um, it looked like a chalice. Oh my God. <laughs> and they were all like drinking from it. And the guy was just like, he was quoting stuff, but I'm like, this don't sound like scripture, scripture. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I'm, this from another book. It didn't sound like Bible stuff. Mm, so, okay. Anyway, that's, that's, <laughs> that's funny but, as hell. Yeah. It's, it was pretty creepy. I left. So what, what do you guys think of the method they used to, to get Sarah to um, comply, or I don't, hell, I don't know what to call it. Um, you talking about that um that damn military torture stuff they did on her? I don't know if you just call it military. I mean that that seemed to go beyond. Yeah, I mean um, that, that kind of stuff. It looked like wartime torture type shit. It seemed like. You can hear me interview um, Alok and the director David Marmer of this movie uh, mm-hmm. on the Movie Maker Interviews podcast. If you go back a few months, and I told them. When I was watching it, I was like, who are these sick bastards who thought of this? Like, these guys are really messed up. Like, how did they even think of something like driving nails through somebody's hands? And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's the Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was funny because you said it like right before we started recording. I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that. But you know what's interesting? It was another brand, too, which I didn't think about until they you actually see the brand that they put on her. Yeah. Um, you know, as she's officially initiated, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Like that's that's wild uh, to do it that way. I don't know why, but I love cold stories more than anything, and I know it's kind of always the same story, but I like it every single time. I gotta I say, no, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was gonna say I think what what my I can agree with Tim on that. I think one of my appeals to it, and what makes it some of the most horrifying stories, is that. It does not, they they never come off as being an enemy. Like, you know, as the viewer that, you know, this is some bullshit. But if you were in that same situation, because of how these people approach is and how they kind of bring you in at first, it's, it's even more terrifying when they flip the script on you, you know. Especially like in Sarah's case, these people just seem like a nice community. Um, you had you had the the nice old lady, the former actress. Um, you had all these man. Guys. Hey, that scene. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. I just I just wanted to mention this because I I'm, I was really scared I'd forget it. Um, so I was just sitting there watching the movie, and she's like, "I wanted you to be here for this," and I was like, mm-hmm. Nah, nah, that's nah, probably not gonna do that. And you know, then dude saw, yeah, you know, you've been a mother to all of us. I'm like, I'm still not sure. I'm not convinced yet. And then they saw pulling out the gas, and I'm like, oh shit. And then what made it more messed up was, you know, you could give anybody like a regular match put over their nose and their mouth. You know, give her a, a plastic bag, black plastic bag. I'm like, what is this? Uh, 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 Lord, what's the name of that place? Uh, Guantanamo Bay. Mm. You know, it's like, what was this? I mean, so I was thinking that that was some of the um, methods came from, though, right? But that, that's yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. You got a guy from Iraq who's been in the military. Now I don't know 
again, we're saying it at the same time, Sarah saying that this is our first time witnessing this. So maybe they use some other methods and, and they try to do it in a painless way. But well, I did find that interesting though. One thing I have heard about them using, but I, I don't think this is just a United States Guantanamo Bay type of torture thing in general, but that the method of um, like making it to where like a person cannot sleep at night. Yeah. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. All that stuff with her in the beginning that mm -hmm. made her um, to where she couldn't really have um, a full night's nice rest. And then when they had her in the room where her hands against the wall, they kept constantly playing that music over and over and over. Holy and over. shit. Yeah, yeah. I didn't that by that itself too. was torture. Just that. That's like, a thing. This is a thing I love in a horror movie where you know that the writer has figured out the whole backstory and has figured out that this is all based on, you know, Guantanamo Bay or CAA black sites or whatever. But I didn't, this, this, you're mentioning that that's the first time I connected that, like the music, the stress positions, the hood, like all that's, that's amazing. Yeah, it, it stuck out to me because, because I, I thought it was, it was interesting, but then he said, I'm from Iraq. I was like, oh, okay, got it. All right. This makes sense. Now, again, maybe they were doing this previously. I, you know, this again, is our first time seeing it. Who knows? Um, and then, you know, I don't want to jump to the end yet, but again, you know, like this, this bigger thing happened too. Um, what did you guys think of the relationship with the father? Like, did, did that guy, did that work for you guys? Uh, how that, that was used? I mean, I mean, yeah. And, and also like that backstory kind of, um, for me, it kind of made sense to what made her in the beginning start to feel so warm and welcomed in by these people in this community in the beginning because of her, you know, she's coming from a broken family. And of course, the people there, they realize this and that even prompts them more to be on some, oh, we're, we're, we're going to save you. We're actually here to help you and stuff. And I feel like if she didn't have that backstory, um, it wouldn't have, in that relationship with her father, wouldn't have um, spearheaded those decisions as much. Because even in the beginning, don't they, because they had a little open house and so the leader of the little cult or whatever, he, he's the one that chooses who actually comes in. And he makes that decision based off where they are at life, in life and if they actually, in his definition, needs help. Although the guy, Brian, who keeps inviting her over and, and the guy we're talking about who says he's from Iraq, he, he's like, I put in the good word for you. And the thing is, what was interesting is this there's so much tiny stuff in this movie that's really interesting to me so they you know he said i'll put in a good word with you because you help edith uh thing is though that whole thing about selflessness she's from a broken home you could say or whatever but and she she's part of the ill society all that but she has that inside of her it has nothing to do with being part of that society like that's ingrained in who she is you know like She's like, I'll take care of this woman. Like, you ain't got to, oh, we ain't got the resources. Like, I'll do it. Make that my responsibility. I will take that on. I will. I mean, th that was one thing that was interesting. It's like they misunderstood the way to actually keep her uh, satiated and, and feel like she was part of the community was to let her hold on to, the, to that person who she can care for because to her, that's like caring for her mother. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's a missing piece that I think if they hadn't forced that situation, um, they could have, you know, let her take on 
the role she felt like she was going to be as a caring person in that way. But once they took away that anchor for her, I felt like it was just a matter of time before she tried to, you know, find her way out. The two cliches I always think of in this type of story are the frog boiling in water where like frog gets in the water. It's nice and warm. It gradually gets a little bit hotter, but by the time it's that hot, the frog can't jump out anymore, which Mm -hmm. I don't think that actually happens. I think somebody proved that that's, a fake uh a fake a fake metaphor but i still really like it as a metaphor and the other one is just the carrot and the stick like her taking care of the older woman is definitely the carrot and then the stick is the bad room and Mm. like at what point in the story do they stop carrot and switch to stick i think it's just like fascinating dramatically like Um, do you pull it off in a believable way right right well before they even had to really push that too much uh we get uh lisa is the character's name the the uh the girl who worked with her at the temp agency um who decides to try to live in the community after believing that sarah had just disappeared from the face of the earth and had basically scorched everybody on her way out including almost getting lisa fire or whatever they had used oh you know before we keep going with that i do want to talk about lisa because i think that's a very 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 important character and lead us to talk about the end um their use of technology I, I, again some of this is like unfamiliar voices blah 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 but she's so out of it um sarah is by the time she's near the end of that torch and she's pulled you know her hands out she's pulling her hands out because she thinks she's hearing her father's voice saying i'm here to get you you can do this blah blah, blah. pull your hands out and i was like well wait a minute because I, I didn't watch it a second time but i'm like is that actually jerry so jerry being the manager of the property and the leader of everybody there mm. is that his or did they somehow use her father's voice like with technology because they call a lot of people from different places and use voices to send messages or do this like for example that voice her father keeps hearing maybe she did leave that message i don't know they coerced her into saying that and then they just keep playing it every time somebody calls but i thought that was really interesting how they did that stuff interesting that that leads me to a point and something that i've been thinking about since i watched this film is when she does get to the point to seem like she's converted into this, um, I guess you could say, society, is she just playing the role until she can find a way to escape and get through, or has she been completely converted? So even what you bringing up, if she did hear her father's voice, I think that is a strong indicator that maybe she was just playing a role. I think she was just playing it. A good way to, you know, kind of escape and make, you know, even though she didn't really have a straight up plan, she was just looking for the opportunity and try to find out as much as she can as possible. See, another thing they screwed up with, though, was, um, like, I don't want to, if you're a cult leader, just cut it off right here. I don't want to start giving you tips. Um, (laughs) But another way they screwed up was, like, every time they put into a new initiation Point, they kept introducing new things that kept pulling the veil back a little too far like it's like if you if you give them all the details and then you pull you know and then it's it's not like every time you get to a new stage like something new comes up like it doesn't feel as jarring so like for example you know when she first is kind of released and she keeps looking at the knife like should i grab that she's not quite there yet about like really accepting that place but the thing that was really interesting is when, and just skipping her, the part with her father, because I think we really should talk about that scene when, when she and her father are talking. But 
I don't think she thought they would kill her if she didn't actually convert. When she realized that they would kill Lisa, well, it would really should have her do it, essentially. Yeah. I think that was another turning point for her. Because, like, it, it's not, you're not getting to already accept that part of your role in that society, as, as you put it, Keith. I, I don't feel like, like, the, it felt like they were trying to fast track too much stuff. If you want her to be involved in that, in, in killing somebody she knows, I mean, she's supposed to be the friend, the person they can confide in to get more trust in the community. If you go from that to, like, hey, I just need you to kill them right now because I say so, that's a huge leap, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I can still see why why it happened. Because uh, for one, we don't know how long she was tortured. And then for That's two, it's, it's worked before, apparently. You know. Oh, I get, I get, you know, I guess that's a great point. It, yeah. yeah, for them to feel that sort of confidence in that, they must have done this more than a few times. And you, and you remember the doctor, um, I think, I don't know if it was anybody else that showed their hands. Um, the black doctor had showed her hands where she had pretty much been pinned to the wall also. Mm-hmm. So it's it's worked before. So th- I just I meant the murder part, having them involved. Somebody that's not the Iraq guy who's a, who knows how to kill and understands that part of it. I, I, but I, I think to your I, point... I think it's like a gang initiation though, right? Like a blood mm-hmm. in, blood out. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, Also, when you think about technology, they're kind of like a Google in that they've had so many people come through typing in these words, they sort of know what people's patterns are and they sort of know how people are going to react. So it's almost like they're a, a group human algorithm where they can say, all right, when this person does this, we're going to respond by doing this. This mm-hmm. is our move. It's like you're playing chess with a computer almost. Like they just know, they've seen this so many times before. They know exactly it seems how to really, yeah, but it seems really, because I really was curious, not like, I, I, it's a movie, right? So I kind of had to be like, well, I didn't want this character to that. But, you know, when her father was there and she responded to um, emotionally to his presence. Yeah. And it wasn't until she just hurt him so bad saying that, you know, she told her mother everything. She hates his guts on her deathbed um, that he was like, you know, all right, fine. I'm just gone. Like, I I can't deal with this anymore. Like they were going to kill him. And it's like, damn, like right. they, they really in this. Like they really do this. And they like, yeah, all right, fine. We'll we'll erase his identity too. Whatever, we'll figure it out. Whatever. No big. <laughs> you know, I'm like, damn. But but the thing that was so funny was I, I started connecting the dots at that moment though, because and I it, it stuck out to me as soon as she said it, which was who's watching us? And she was like, well, he said something like, Don't worry about that or whatever. And I was like, okay, so the movie has asked the question. So there's something lo- like they're not going to lead that completely like it, it's, gonna, it's not like we, we need the answer, but they're going to address it in some way. And I think really what it's implying is even if they killed their father and I was thinking this as soon as it happened was they are connected. So in, in interwoven in, in such a way to the larger society and people don't even realize it, that they could have gotten away with that. Oh, yeah. That's what tripped me out when I was watching. I was like, "Oh shit! Like this is this is bigger than than we realize." Because they, remember, they keep their people and they keep talking about saving the world, saving everybody else outside. Well, so their realize, mission's bigger. Yeah, when you realize at the end that this that the company that rented to her owns all these buildings up and down the street and probably throughout the world, it just it's kind of perfect world building because like you know we talked about how Project Power had 
world building where it was a little bit distracting, where there was so much world building, we couldn't really focus as much on the immediate story in mm -hmm. some cases. This one, you're completely wrapped in the initial story and you think when she escapes that complex, the story's over and then you realize the story is just starting because there are hundreds of her, her thousands. It's like Lisa Connor or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I thought that was just perfect world building because it was like, it was like a little extra at the end. It's definitely, they could do, you know, 10 of these movies. Um, yeah, they could. They really could if they wanted. With different. To BR. With, yeah, 2BR <laughs> with different stakes and different actors and everything else. and Or you can just take it as a self-contained, really effective movie. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, think about, like, if you do something like, um, oh, my God, what's the, what's the name of the series? I can't think of it. Come on. Oh, you, um, The Purge. The Purge. Oh, okay. So, you know, The Purge eventually goes to this point where, like, they're outside of the suburbs and they start focusing a lot more on, like, inner city stuff and, like, how that's used to you know, control population and do this and do that. Yeah. Um, that's the direction this easily could go and it will work in a way that I think maybe that hadn't even considered. It's really cool. Um, oh, wow. Especially with that like... violence being so common to some degree and, and orchestrated in, in some cases, you could say, um, by, by people who aren't even a part of, you know, the, the inner city. Um, that could be a really interesting approach if that's something they want to do for a sequel. Um, so I, I find it really cool. I like that they included a character like um, Lester, who was the guy that she was supposed to marry. Oh man, I, I got it, man. I did not see that coming. Right, I really didn't. But I, I, I mean, I, I feel like even though he was kind of like, you know, introduced as the weirdo character, he was actually the character that brought some type of normalcy to this whole situation. Yeah, can, can you just talk through that real quick? Cause I mean, well, you know, I, I think I know what you mean, but just, you know, let's just- I'm saying like from the, from the aspect, like I'm thinking like if I was in Sarah's position, right? And mm -hmm. all of these people apparently have been brainwashed and they all down for this shit. There's just this, out of all these people, Lester is the one person that actually rebelled against it, that he, mm -hmm. that she knows of. Well, and who, who and, wasn't killed? And who wasn't killed, you know, yeah. even though he got his eye cut out and some right, more right, right. happened to him. But um, and he knew when she went back to when you were talking about the knife thing, when she was thinking about using the knife, he he saw her. Mm -hmm. And he was like, No, he was shaking his head, no, and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so and he was the one that that realized that she needed some type of indiv individuality. So she he brought all her designer stuff and hid it in the closet and stuff. So I feel like, to me, he opened up the idea and the concept that even if she was a little brainwashed, that she realized that, no, this shit is not right. You know, that this is, this is, um, this isn't the way that we should be, be living. We shouldn't be forced into this situation, into what these people view to be some type of utopian society and take away all autonomy from a human being, so. Yeah, and it, it was cool that he, you know, he's like, I've been here five years, and at least, we, like, this is our life, and we got to try to make, make the best of it. Because this thing about it, if everybody's drinking from the Kool-Aid, you know, it makes it easy for you to accept that to be true, right? Mm -hmm. So it helps that there is at least one person that's not for it. And then even with Lester, is it is it that he completely was brainwashed, which we know he wasn't. It's just he 
found it to be easy to just accept his position and where he was at. And he was trying to get her to accept it. But then, you know, of course, towards the end when he, you know, he offs himself, I, I feel like he realizes towards the end that it's, it's not worth it, you know? Well, then, I, well, well, even more than it not being worth it, um, man, this is so crazy. Um, it kind of, it it, 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 it hit me more right now um then it and it is immediately but you know there's that line where jerry says um you know lester lost his, his wife you know six months ago whatever and we and that was the other thing too i knew her role in the society whether she knew it or not was that you finna have these babies yeah, <laughs> so ugh. yeah and i didn't know that they were gonna i mean it makes sense immediately right once you think it through that she would be hooked up with somebody and it happens to be lester but the thing that's so crazy about that, though, and, and again, there's all these allusions to these different things throughout the movie. They they do a good job of, like, setting up, you know, a quick backstory and then, like, what the, what the motivations are. They don't always state them outright, but really, let's just sacrifice in the end. So just kind of going through what happens real quick at the end where, you know, Sarah decides not to kill Lisa. They run out together. One of the most, I ain't a lot. I ain't been this shocked in a movie in so, <laughs> so long. We're like... Sarah go. I mean, well, Sarah's talking. Well, excuse me. Lisa's talking to Sarah. She goes, "Man, yeah, you're right. This building sucks." Bam, and she just just like killed with, with the guns. Oh shit! Like <laughs> <laughs> I was not ready for that. And then you know, Sarah, you know, runs out, kills Jerry, and then she's like, "Y'all, all can go." And then you know, all the people come out. You realize, oh shit, she doesn't realize she's surrounded. Uh, this is yeah. not like a, a negotiation moment. Um, and then she's like, "Screw it," kills Brian. Everybody too shocked to do anything. She starts running to the front. She uses the the little key fob to get out. And then everybody grabs it. And Lester goes out of his way to make sure she can get through the door. And then he does that thing he, that he did before, Keith, and he shakes his head at her. He goes, no. like Because remember, he said to Jerry when they were doing the branding on her that you remind me of my wife. Like he, that's what he told Jerry. Mm-hmm. And so his sacrifice is really for... Sarah, but he's thinking of his wife, somebody he couldn't get out. Because the thing is, we don't know how she died. Right. Mm-hmm. Ain't no telling what happened. But he's like, I'm going to get you out of here. We don't have to know that backstory. But he made that sacrifice thinking of his wife, whose picture he still has up in the apartment. I feel like his wife did something sort of wrong and they overkilled her. And yeah. now they feel bad about it. And they're like, all right, we'll, we'll find you a new wife. Sorry. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Not like not really like fully not really an apology, but more like a. uh, This is what we do as a utilitarian society. We we make it. We're gonna make up for our mistake, our bad. Compensatory. We'll get you. We'll get you a new toy. Ugh. Yeah. It's it's so much scarier. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Go ahead. I was gonna say this version of utilitarian society is really interesting. because they'll claim they're doing things in the best interest for all um, and that selflessness must be a part of that. But that's really stupid in several ways. I mean, <laughs> people need to be selfish for all kinds of reasons. And, you know, we can get into like a, a large conversation there another time. But I think really what it's trying to show is if purely like that's all you're thinking about is the best uh, outcome for the best for the most amount of people that that can get really tricky really fast because the one of the things about that is there have to be hard hard line rules 
and the punishment for those had to be pretty severe, including up to quickly just going to, we got to just get this person out of society, like kick them out of how we do stuff, or we got to just not let them live anymore. This is why maskless people island would never work. Like you just have to have (laughs) compassion, which I'd said this at the top. You just have to have compassion and talk to people and try to just persuade them to your side. And if you need to just, you know, wear your mask and walk across the street and smile, that's okay. Or you can't really, they can't really tell if you're smiling. You have to give like a nod, a friendly nod. Say, I'm on your side. We're all in this together, even though you're not wearing a mask. No island, no island for them. But it's like, because utilitarianism, like it always, it's always kind of fun in philosophy class where they explain it to you and you go, yeah, that sounds good. And then they're like, all right, so would you kill a baby if it would save 50 people? And you're like, no. No, why, why would I ever do that? Like, absolutely not. Like, there's no, no. Like, sorry, those 50 people would, I guess, I don't know. I'd be paralyzed. I couldn't do anything. Yeah, right, you, right. you do utilitarian shit in your house. That, that's where <laughs> that goes. That's not, that's not for the larger society. There, there are so many reasons that's not a great idea, including the fact that you can convince people that a certain amount of people just shouldn't be here because their presence will make everything worse. The thing, it, it's all... The thing about any version of society, too much power corrupts any of it. Like there has to be room for people to make mistakes and not believe the same shit and yeah. all kind of other stuff. And well, and I, I, like I'm saying this, like ideally, like you can have some sort of mix where you have a representative democracy of some sort. I say this as an American, that's how I've grown up. I think it can work. Yeah, obviously it can swing the other direction in some really wild ways. Right. But I, I, I do believe that. And it's a controversial viewpoint now where it's like people in some cases would rather you never say anything bad or make any mistakes than publicly make your mistakes and learn from them. And I don't know, I would just, I would rather know what people really think in their heart of hearts. So you have it on the record and out there and can honestly deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And, and I, I love that the, the horror of this movie is us. Not some huge monster. Not not like crazy people, but people who, you know, again, with this larger machine going on, who knows what they want, right? But the people in that apartment complex, they, as Keith put, they drank the Kool-Aid and they think this is how things should go. Um, And they have specialists, you know, (laughs) uh, inside of of that community that, that run different things. And it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I appreciate a lot of what this movie's doing. Um, I don't really, like, I was really trying to go through and think about things that you could do to to improve on it. And I mean, honestly, I just, I don't have a whole lot of notes. I mean, I, it's, it's paced pretty decently. It gives you some good hints about what could come and it doesn't bang certain things over the head for you. Um, I think one reason some audiences might not be as into it as some critics <laughs> is it really kind of it really helps to have some sense of what utilitarianism is and what it attempts to do um i don't think you need to really appreciate this movie but i think it really gives like this extra uh you know sugar in your juice when you're watching it because you can see a lot of what it's it's trying to do and trying to pull off and and also just like this thing about being amongst strangers and just try, I mean, hell, I think I'd be like, we talk about cult stuff, just like you're around strangers. Like you're, you're really trusting a lot of people 
when you're not around, like when you go out and you're like, I'm going to try to make it big, you move to a new city, you oftentimes don't know who the people around you are, you know, and something could happen to you and nobody would know, big city or not. I mean, I've had that experience so many times of like you you move to a new place, you're living in kind of a shitty apartment, you don't really know the neighborhood yet, you don't really know what it's going to be like, and that's a just creepy feeling. I mean, right. in the middle of the night when your brain just starts messing with you. Hell yeah, it is. Yeah, they um, I was reading something about the concept of something called um approach anxiety. How um a lot of people have it, and it could be from like hundreds of years ago through our ancestors where. If you walked, if you came across some people that you didn't know, that was like, that could have been your ass, you know? It was like a life or death situation. Yep. So I think a lot of that still is inherent in a lot of us. And, you know, rather we realize or not, and to where like we just might have just anxiety, like I said, just approaching people and stuff. So that in itself can be scary. And then um, it's also something interesting about, especially in those times you think about like maybe like a thousand to 2000 years ago, or not even as long as that where women didn't have as many rights as they do now. And they, they, a woman couldn't just be out by herself in a sense. Like she was, hell, that was a hundred years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like Like, more recent than hell, a generation ago. Yeah, but um, have have been under the protection of some type of man, you know. And -hmm. I think it's interesting, even within this 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 cult, the microcosm of this cult within this um, in the apartment community, because we don't know how it works outside of the other communities um, in this film. How they essentially just pawn a woman off to a man. It's very it's very misogynistic. Yeah, but that's but that's but is it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that it's. It's definitely misogynistic in our culture, right? Mm-hmm. But hundreds of years ago, this was uh, was common. This mm-hmm. was an uncommon thing. You know? Okay. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Or, or even, even you might not even have a choice. You know, if your, if your, if your, if your mom and dad said, "Oh, you gonna marry um, Cynthia down the street because this would be good for our family." <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, it's not yeah. it's not that rare in the modern world. I mean, you still do hear about like you know daughters being sold off in situations of mm-hmm. you know extreme poverty. It's horrifying, but it it does still happen, and we act like it doesn't. You get like a dowry and stuff like that sometimes too. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah. But that that go back to my point. Like, who who really determines? per se, if that's right or wrong, in a sense. Yeah, because my whole thing is, just like, you know, I'm you'll wrong. see people. Huh? I'm going to go with wrong. Yeah, that, but I'm saying it's wrong because... I, I mean, a, a, a dowry might be like a tradition or whatever. I mean, I'm talking about the thing I was talking about with, like, daughters getting sold off. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. I was, I'm not trying to, like, score points. That was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, God, was, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so look. Sometimes, you know, we'll be on Twitter or whatever, right? And you see all these these folks. God, this happened, like, in, in 2008 when the financial crisis happened. I mean, we're in the middle of one right now, whatever, liquidity. I don't want to get into that now. But the thing is, when that happened, there were all these young people on campus. Because I was in college at the time. Keith was as well. And, and we'd be among them. And they, 1% sucks and this and that. And, and capitalism is terrible. And I'm like, it's not capitalism that's, that's terrible. It's how we're running it. Like, you know, capitalism is not doing the evils of like, you know, getting rid of unions 
and you know something like that like erasing you know uh people's rights and getting rid of the clean water act and all this kind of stuff like that's not you know capitalism doing that that's human beings doing that this is a whole dumb thing of like you have to be either a complete capitalist with no regulation of any kind or you're a communist and there's no in between like there's no way you could possibly have you know regulation of food and medicine and things like that without being a communist I mean, it's just, it's just the total lack of nuance that we have around so many things kind of because of a system that allows you to communicate 140 or 280 words at a characters at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, You just don't get the most nuanced discussions. And I was thinking today, like if you wanted to have the most anti-intellectual environment possible, you'd only be allowed to communicate in short sentences and then everybody would pounce on you as soon as you said anything, which is what (laughs) Twitter is. And why podcasts are the answer. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. That's actually really funny. I mean, I, honestly, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm just, I, I hope people start thinking more about the people who are running things rather than like the system, like in what they've been told and what they think rhetorically about what it's supposed to represent. At the end of the day, value systems would drive everything. So even like in a utilitarian society, that, you know, I think most of the time you're going to get to some version of it that's a little crazy if, like, it's always about the best, you know, like, the, the largest good for the biggest number of people for all kinds of reasons. But at the end of the day, it's about value systems first. Like, all these systems can work, but you have to have value systems that are fair. Like, I mean, it's not like in the four pillars they were like, hey, you know what's another good one? Let's have five. Let's put fairness in here. Put shit <laughs> in there. Like, <laughs> and... and I mean, these things kind of tell on themselves as you keep going through and living through that society. And so um, it just as they do with ours. Right. So um, I think it's a really it's a really cool opportunity to have discussions like this and just kind of talk about what is and isn't fair. And, you know, what what seems like the right way to go about it. I, I think this moves a great vehicle for stuff like that and, and did some really quick mm-hmm. character studies and, and, and um, allusions to all kind of stuff that were really great and, and worked out well. Also really love the cinematography. It was really, they put you in, in scene really fast. I was like, I wonder where I am. And then like immediately I'm just like, oh, I'm, okay, I'm in the States. Oh, okay, I'm in LA, I'm in Hollywood, boom. Mm-hmm. Like, and just the way they shoot certain things just really kind of puts you in in that, that. but like, okay, so Tim, you um, still have a place out there. Like where in LA is that area? I felt like, I felt like it was like the building that I live in. Like, honestly, cause I live. That's funny. I live slash lived in West Hollywood. I don't really know where I live now with quarantine. Um, (laughs) I live with my mother-in-law for the time being with my wife and our baby. And we have no plans of going anywhere for months. Um, Yeah. Hopefully it's not on fire by the time you get back. Yeah. It's weird out there. Um, But like I'm in West Hollywood and I felt like it, it felt very West Hollywood. Like it felt mm-hmm. because there's a lot of apartments and it's just like apartment after apartment after apartment after apartment for blocks and blocks. So I definitely felt like that could just be like the third floor. I mean, I really did picture like our apartment complex when they had like the pool party and stuff or the the um, yeah. the barbecue. It I could just like see like the little plaza common area in my building where nobody ever goes. Like imagining what if we all went out there and just like had a little had a little cookout, which again we've never done because we live in LA and antisocial whatever i guess that was the thing that was so funny too when you, when you do see that in a film you're like something's wrong 
People don't. People are just nice. <laughs> doing all this hell now. I'm walking out. You people are too nice. This, I, I know what real California's doing. There's some weird shit going on here. You guys must hang with Joe Button. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, because Jackson's doing that shit right now. Man, That's oh what's me. You know what I'm saying? That's why I tell people I don't know shit about no quarantine. <laughs> yeah, over here. Like, people literally like living like normal. It's really not. It's really not that much of a difference. You just got to put on a mask now. That's about it. Man, they trying to do that at these schools and like, I mean, so literally, um, we're recording on on the Tuesday after Labor Day, and they said almost a hundred campuses now have outbreaks at universities, like that quick, just from the weekend, like. I mean, it's, it's going to be some rest of 2020 going to be wild. 2020 has been terrible um, in many ways. It's been good personally in some ways. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of things going right, but the larger world, man, it's, it's just been wild, man. I hope we can, can get it together and, um, you know, really like just unify with certain things that we feel like are going to help one another. This this way we do need some utilitarian shit. We need to help each other. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think I think that goes <laughs> down to to like the whole values thing and how everybody's just got different ways of viewing things. You know, as far as they're concerned. Yeah, but we. You, I do feel like when certain things happen in this country, not even that long ago, like even when 9/11 happened, it was like we're all Americans. You know, let's do this for each other. Let's do that. And it, you know, not even thinking about war efforts, right? But you know, people try to do things and and be more congenial to one another um doesn't really feel that way at the moment and again like you said that's about values um not yeah. changing the values and it's also like about everybody's situation is different too you know what i'm saying yeah like you it's easier for some people to quarantine or stay at home or keep uh, certain things because they probably want the type to do it to begin with like myself for example you know yeah. what i'm saying like I would introvert top five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I, I can't, I can't sit here and say I can completely relate to an extrovert. Now, one thing I will say: there are certain things that I did socially, like going to jujitsu or just being kind of out a little bit more that I had to limit completely. Yeah, but it, I didn't, it didn't um, affect me mentally too much. I talked to you so bad about going to the gym, <laughs> but also, <laughs> but, also. But, it's also like one of those things. I guess. I guess my mindset of it is just about what is what is your your you know your risk factor. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. if, if it's gonna affect you mentally and emotionally, and you be like just as much fucked up just sitting at the house as if you just went out and possibly not get sick or not even pass anything to somebody, and you might look at it as being a particular risk. You know. So we, uh, I think it just depends on the person, how they feel about it, you know, yeah, what yeah. they got going on in their life. Like if I had a child, I probably never step out the house. I'd be afraid that the moment I step out, I'm gonna bring a whole virus home to somebody. That's that's kind of how I am. The other side of it though is like it's kind of easier if you have a if you have a significant other who you're quarantined with or you have a family that you're quarantined with, then if you're single and you've been isolated for six fucking months when they told you it was going to be like two weeks, like if people who are single are like, I need to go to the park and, you know, sit across from my friend. Or if they're like, I've been, you know, trading messages on Tinder with this person for three months. 
I think we're both okay. Like I'm not super mad at them if they go out and have to have a connection with somebody. Like I, it's just. Hey, people were really good about this early though. So, I mean, they I get props yeah. there. Yeah. Those first couple of months, I, I do feel like people did a very good job. So yeah. I'll say um, about like, yeah. months, like three, four. Yeah. Months that's when, that's before, when it fell was, apart. Yeah. I was losing. <laughs> and I'm, and I, like I said, I'm more of an introvert and I was about to lose it. Just sitting there looking at four walls all day, you know? Yeah. And then but, people post stuff like just normal. But anyway, I know we're getting a little. No, yeah, yeah. no, but I mean, look, this is all related. Rules, regulations, what like what what was one of the tenets was security, you know, and selflessness. Those are two, and I can't remember what the other two were right now. But um one one shot I did want to mention before we close too, that I thought was really cool when it happened. When uh, oh my god, we didn't talk about the cat. Poor cat. Yeah. Uh, that probably I'm sure a lot of cat cat lovers didn't love that. Every negative review this movie has, I think, is from a cat lover who is just like, how dare you? Think of the person who clicked on this movie, knowing it's a horror movie, (laughs) knowing that bad things are going to happen to people, and then they saw something happen to a cat, and they were like, how dare, how could they? Fuck this movie. How could they do this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's man humans are fascinating i definitely can say that um any any other closing thoughts um <laughs> before we uh, wrap it up i'll say watch it watch the movie it's good watch the movie i'll say that yeah uh hug your cat a little closer tonight yeah <laughs> yeah and um maybe follow all the rules of your apartment <laughs> in <laughs> your city and state yeah. Well, oh, I wasn't even thinking of the mask. I mean, if they tell you not to bring a pet in, you, you never know what'll happen, guys. <laughs> like they weren't. And it's funny because, like, at first I was like, I don't know, maybe they just do this to people who break the rules. But no, they had already had plans for. Her, so <laughs> she would have broken some rule. Yeah. Uh, well, like, I, I saw you using the the laundry machine after nine o'clock. What was that about? Yeah, and then it's gonna uh-huh. leave the damn. Uh, the 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 least notice of uh breaking the rules on the stove i didn't burn the cat at one <laughs> asshole um, <laughs> i don't know keith you got anything before we, we wrap it up and no no i think you know like i said it's a movie worth taking taking a look at it caught me you know it caught me by surprise they got number one for a reason you say what they got number one on netflix for a reason yeah yeah i could see that you know what i'm saying um I don't know why I thought it was gonna be something like um I spit on your grave type thing. But you no, know, it was still like you know, it was still enjoyable, you know. What I mean? It was thought provoking enough for us to talk for almost an hour. I think hour. we can say I I I'm, I'm kinda of surprised with this, but Tim liked this a lot more than uh oh god, what was that other movie we watched about the floors? Oh yeah. Um, the floor. Uh, the uh, uh the, the, the people eat yeah, there we go, the platform. I said the floors. God, I hate that movie. <laughs> yeah if you want to hear tim tim and our thoughts on that movie you can go back a few months when we were really, um but uh let's see how do we wrap oh yes if you enjoyed your time here you made it this far you really like the pod please review tell your friends to come check it out uh we come out regularly on every thursday so you can uh peep us there when you subscribe um also keep tell the people where they can find us on social Oh yeah, so we on Facebook and we also on Instagram at the Low Key Pod. All right, there we go. And thank you again for for rocking with us this long. Really appreciate you guys, and we'll see you on the next one. Rest in peace, Charles. See you.